Okay, now we're going to turn our attention to God's Word, the book of Jonah. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Jonah. I've said this before, but do not be afraid to use your table of contents. There is no shame in that. Jonah's kind of hard to find. It's in the Old Testament right after Obadiah. So you, of course, know where Obadiah is. It's the, it's the one right after Obadiah. And we are in chapter 2 of Jonah. Quick recap, if you haven't been with us, in chapter 1, Jonah boards a ship the opposite direction of where God has called him to. He doesn't want to preach repentance to the people that he hates, so he gets on a ship going the opposite direction. He gets into the very bottom of the hull of the ship, and he goes to sleep, and the Lord brings a great storm. And in the midst of that storm, Jonah is thrown overboard, and that's where we pick up things here at the end of chapter 1 leading into chapter 2. So here's verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I again I look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life, the deeps surrounded me, weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the uh, words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, speak through your word to us this morning. Open our ears and open our eyes that we may see Jesus and know him more clearly. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to talk this morning about the concept of compassion. There's uh, a line in the first chapter of Jonah in which Jonah, again, has hidden from everybody. He thinks he's running away from God. He's hidden himself down in the bottom of the ship. And this great storm has come upon the ship, and it's tossing them to and fro. And the captain of the ship comes down to Jonah, and he wakes him up, and he says, Wake up and cry out to your God, and maybe that God will give a thought to us. That idea of giving a thought to someone else, of turning your attention away from yourself and toward another, That's compassion. The idea of actually moving away from your own thoughts and toward those of another, that's compassion. One of our stated values at this church is that we move toward people. We move toward people. When we move toward people in love, we move toward people in service, we move toward people even if it means there's conflict because we're having to move away from their worldview at the same time, When we move toward people, we are showing them compassion. We are turning our thoughts away from ourselves and toward another. Now, compassion is something that that our culture actually values. This is good. 
And really, no matter what kind of uh, generation you're from, you've, you've heard at least the shouts for compassion, right? The Beatles sang, all you need is love. And Rodney King said, why can't we all just get along? And Taylor Swift, even the great theologian Taylor Swift, has said, you know, it's really the most important thing is to love another person. It's something really that our culture does desire and celebrate. In fact, uh, the least tolerated people in our society are, are the ones who we think are the least tolerant, right? We don't like it when people aren't compassionate. Now, we can talk about the positives and negatives of that idea, but the point is, as a culture, we value compassion, at least in other people we do. <laughs> and of course, the Bible speaks about compassion a lot. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul is telling Christians to take off the old self and put on the new self, what he tells them, first of all, to put on is compassionate hearts. The culture desires it, the Bible requires it, but at the end of the day, we really don't live in a very compassionate society, do we? In fact, I, I, think, it's, I think you can say pretty honestly, we live in one of the more divided times, at least in my lifetime. And frustratingly, the church oftentimes is not that much different from the culture around us. So while there's something deep inside us that just yearns for compassion, there's also something that's just really difficult. We don't see it all the time in the world. We don't see it all the time in our families. We don't see it all the time in our own hearts. So the question that we're really going to ask this morning is, how do you grow compassion? How do you grow in compassion for others? How do we move away from ourselves so that we might move toward others in love, in service, in compassion? Well, I think what we learn from Jonah is that in order to grow in compassion, you have to know compassion. In order to grow compassion in your own life and grow compassion toward others, you have to first know the compassion of the Lord. Because that is the recipe for growing compassion in your own life. It is knowing what God through Christ has done in your own heart that then changes the way that we reach out to others. There's, uh, there's four kind of components of growing compassion here. If we, if we had a recipe, these are our four ingredients. Okay? They are humility, they are experience, and thankfulness. It's the third one and the fourth one I'm just going to leave for a minute. But let's look at that first one first the first kind of ingredient for growing compassion in our lives. It's humility. Look at this verse three of Jonah chapter two. Jonah says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. In verse three, Jonah is, is crying out what is true about him. He is understanding his state. He's at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a great fish, and he is realizing finally what has happened. And he's also realizing why it's happened and who has, uh, who has done it. He says, you cast me, he's talking about the Lord, you cast me into the deep. Now, in chapter one, we actually saw that it was the sailors who threw him overboard, but what Jonah realizes is that it's God's discipline, his loving and caring discipline that he is sovereignly using to oversee all of this. God, in his love and mercy, has thrown Jonah overboard so that he might be humbled, so that Jonah might actually come to the end of himself. 
I don't know if you've ever had kind of a humbling experience, or hopefully, like me, you've had many of these kind of humbling experiences. Uh, I had such an experience one time uh, when it was in our family, time for bed, and it was a very typical kind of interaction where uh, I say, okay, children, it's time now for you to go to bed, and then they respond um, with, with perfect obedience and compliance, and... Um, that happens sometimes, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's typical. This was one of the other times where one of my children, who will not go named today, uh, was frustrated about going to bed and decided instead of, you know, compliantly and uh, peacefully and gently walking to the room and going to bed, that there was stomping and there was throwing things. And so uh, this child screamed into the room, slammed the door flopped onto the bed, and then flopping onto the bed kind of kicked up uh, feet against the window and broke the window. And of course, during this time, I was, uh, as is my right as king, relaxing on the couch and watching television, and Joy came in to tell me what had gone on, and when I came in to see broken glass everywhere and this broken window, all, all thoughts of, of parenting left my, my brain, and the only thing that I could think of was this window that I would have to fix the next day. So I responded by stomping into my room and slamming the door and flopping onto my bed. And in slamming my door, something in the door of my 1930s house broke, and it locked me in. Joy had to literally pass me a screwdriver under the door so that I could get out of my own room. That is called being humbled. I hope that you're picking up the irony that my six-year-old was more mature than I was that day. Maybe you've been humbled like that. Jonah uh, goes through a pretty amazing transformation between chapters one and two. Jonah's whole world and life has to be reoriented. The way that he understands his standing before God, the way that he understands his relationship to other people, God has to completely tear that apart. Jonah starts and boards this ship as the prophet. He's the one who knows the most. In fact, if we were to say, who knows the most about God's compassion? It's probably Jonah. If you were to give out a theology test to anybody in this story, Jonah's going to score the highest. Jonah, as we open up the book before we continue reading in verse 2, Jonah's probably the guy we go, you know, that guy would make a great elder. He knows all the stuff. He's been through all the training. He's got all the knowledge. Man, this guy's got it all together. Jonah knows God's compassion, but he doesn't actually know his compassion. He has to be humbled in order to know it. He has to be brought to the end of himself. He has to be broken down, literally to the bottom of the sea before he can understand that first step of what it means to understand God's compassion. That's the bad news, right, is that you can't be humble until you're humbled. Humility comes with being humbled. The process of God in his loving and caring discipline of us actually starting to take us apart so that our, uh, our ego starts to crack, so that our hubris starts to fall away so that our understanding of ourselves as the ones who are totally in charge of all things can finally be left behind and we can be laid bare before the Lord. Now, some of you have felt like Jonah. You have been in this place where you feel like, I'm at the bottom. 
and the weeds are entangling me and they're wrapping around my neck. You have felt that anxiety so hard that it feels like an elephant is sitting on your chest and you can't breathe. Or maybe you feel like you've been covered uh, simply by the ocean of, of your own addictions or choices, by alcohol or prescription drugs or pornography or shopping, whatever it is. And you know that that spot, you feel that like Jonah felt this. Let me just say, if that is you this morning, if that's the spot you're in, I'd love to talk with you. And I also want you to know that that is the first step in understanding God's compassion toward you and in starting to grow that compassion toward others. All right, let's move on to that second ingredient then. Because that first step is really important, but it's nothing without the second one. Because the second ingredient in knowing God's compassion and showing and growing compassion on ourselves is our experience of it. Our experience of God's deep compassion toward us. Look at verse 6, I think it is. Yeah, verse 6. At the roots of the mountain, uh, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. But then listen to this. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. See, that's very, very important. Because what Jonah says is, here's the honest truth about where I am. And it's down here way lower than I ever thought I could be. But here's the honest truth about what God has done, is that he has raised me out of the pit. He has rescued me. He has saved me. The gospel is that we are more broken and sinful than we ever could imagine, but that's only half of it. The other half is we are more loved and forgiven and cherished than we could ever dream. Both of those things have to go together if we are going to understand who Jesus is and what he's done. Because if we don't understand our own brokenness, we will never understand salvation. And if we don't understand that Jesus can save, then we will never actually come to him. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's the bad news and the good news all together. And then look at what he says here in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That phrase in English is actually the translation of of a Hebrew word that we find all throughout the Old Testament, and it's a very important word. It's the word hesed. And it's a word that means God's covenantal, loving, merciful, kind, faithful, familial love. It took me like eight words to describe this one word. That's the force, though, that it comes with, is God's personal, family-bonding, covenantal, merciful love. That's what Jonah is clinging to here. He's clinging to God's mercy. He's not clinging to his own action. He's not clinging to the law. Jonah does not say, I was at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish, and then I started doing all the right things, and I floated to the top. He doesn't say, I was at the bottom, and I started volunteering for a local nonprofit, and so God kind of floated me to the top. He doesn't say, I started to act compassionately to others, and then God showed me his compassion. That's not the way that it works. It's just the opposite. What Jonah says is, I have found the one thing at the bottom of the ocean that I could cling to, and that is God's covenant, faithful, merciful love. I want you to imagine, if you can, just for a second, you are, uh, you're in Washington, D.C., okay, and we're, we're in a car, and it's winter There's snow coming down everywhere. The Potomac River is over here on your right, and it's starting to kind of ice over. And you're in stop-and-go traffic. You're kind of just stuck. And in the middle of this traffic, you look over, and the guy in the car next to you gets out of his car, 
and he runs straight into the water and jumps into the Potomac. Now, what do you think of this guy? He's a lunatic, right? He's an idiot. Why would anybody do that? It's freezing outside. It's the water's icy. Why would he run and just go jump in the water? But what if, moments before, an airplane had actually landed on the Potomac and crashed into that water, and there were passengers scattered all throughout the water, uh, sitting in there with their muscles cramping up because of the cold, and their eyes blurry because the jet fuel was all in the water and they couldn't see, and the man in the car next to you had run and gotten out of his car and, do, and dove into the water in order to save somebody and pull them to shore. Now, what would you think of that person then? That would change your idea of that person, right? This person's a hero instead of a lunatic. This person is an example of sacrifice, maybe even somebody that I should imitate. But let's change the perspective one more time. What if you're the one in the water? What if you're the one whose muscles are cramping because of the cold? What if you're the one whose eyes are blurry because of the fuel and the, and the water all mixed together? What if you're the one who this man grabs and pulls to the shore and saves your life? Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? See, if your perspective is the one who has been rescued, it changes everything in your life. If your perspective and your thought of yourself is you're the one who either cannot be rescued because you're just too far gone, or you don't need rescue because you're just too good, then you will never understand Jesus. But if your understanding of yourself is the one who is in that icy cold water and Jesus has come to pull you out and the only thing that you're clinging to is his action on your behalf, then that radically changes how you understand compassion, the compassion that is shown to you. See, that's the step two and the second kind of ingredient in our growing compassion in our lives is that we actually experience God's compassion for us. That's a huge piece of it. All right, let's move on to the third piece. The third piece and the third kind of ingredient for us is thankfulness. Thankfulness is a big piece. Look at verse nine. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What Jonah says, finally, what Jonah says here is that he is going to respond to God's goodness in thankfulness, in thanksgiving, in sacrifice, in vows, right? These are actually the things that the sailors did before <laughs> that Jonah should have been doing while he was on the ship. We finally see Jonah doing these things now. And that is how we respond to the Lord, when we have been humbled, and then when he has shown us uh, his goodness and his grace, when we've experienced that, we can only respond in thanksgiving. We can only respond by pouring out. We have thankful hearts because our hearts are full of God's love and grace. In fact, you could say that thankfulness really is the outpouring of abundance. Thankfulness doesn't ever come when there's emptiness. Thankfulness only comes when there's abundance. It's the outpouring of God's abundance in our lives. You know, uh, psychologists have done studies on this, on people who, uh, with this idea of scarcity in their minds. They studied this group of people who were hungry, uh, who, who literally were very close to starving. And what was so fascinating is that as these people were, were, were without food most of, their, most of this time that they were being studied, you would think that all of their thoughts would turn to something other than food. 
that they would want to distract themselves, and the last thing that they would want to think about was food, because that was the one thing they didn't have. But it was just the opposite. The food, or their lack of that food, occupied their minds all the time. They would kind of make these plans about becoming restaurateurs. They would uh, swap recipes with one another. They would scour the paper for the best food prices of that week. Even though they were going hungry, they were occupied completely with food. This happens actually in other ways as well. It's the same thing with money. Oftentimes, very poor people, where there's a lack of money, that will consume their thoughts. And because they're so consumed with thoughts about money, so they think about it all the time, they actually start making really poor financial decisions, not because they're not thinking about it, because it's consuming them. This happens relationally too. And this one I'm sure that we've all seen, where when somebody is insecure relationally, when they are lonely, then oftentimes they act out of their insecurity when they're with other people. You have certainly talked to a relationally insecure person at a party. And wasn't it super fun? And didn't you want to always just talk to that person all night? No, you didn't. Because when we're insecure, we start to want some people to like us so bad that we say stupid things. And nobody then wants to talk to us. And so the lonely people get lonelier because they want that fullness so much. That's acting out of scarcity. But here's the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel is about abundance. What the Bible says is that we have been abundantly filled, that we have been completely satisfied with God's love, that he has come to make us belong fully, that he has provided everything that we need. And so Christians are those who then can act out of that abundance. See, if I believe that I'm abundantly provided for, I can give. If I believe that I'm abundantly secure relationally, then I can actually open myself up to others and be honest. If I believe that I have been shown compassion, then I can actually show compassion to others. Thankfulness comes out of abundance, and where there is an abundance of thankfulness, there is always an abundance of compassion. That's our third kind of key piece there. Humility, experience, and thankfulness. Now let me pause for just a second, because uh, if you were here last week, you actually saw these, th- these three things displayed for you. Because last week, uh, up here, I had two young men, Jack and Griffin Mayo, and I baptized them. And in baptism, we actually see this displayed. In fact, uh, what we're seeing in chapter two of Jonah is really a baptism of sorts. Jonah is brought through the water, and he's brought through safely, just like uh, the flood in Genesis 6, just like the waters of the Red Sea that God's people are brought through on dry land, just like the Jordan River that God also parts through Moses and he brings them into his rest. And all of those things actually point toward Jesus in the New Testament, that Jesus is our ark who saves us from the flood of God's wrath that we bring on in our own sin. That Jesus is the leader of God's people through the wilderness, through the waters even of the Red Sea and even into the land of promise and of rest. That is what we mark in baptism and that's what I marked uh, last week with these two young men. In fact, remember the questions that I asked them? Or maybe remember the questions of membership which are very similar? They go something like this. The first one is, do you recognize your need? Do you know that you need Jesus? Well, that's a question about humility, isn't it? Has Jesus brought you to the place where you know you need him? 
And the second question is, do you then receive and rely on his grace only? Trusting only in his mercy and his grace for you. That's a question of experience. Has Jesus worked in your heart? Has the spirit changed you such that you cling to him and him alone? And then that third question I ask is, will you now live your life in humble reliance upon the Lord and upon his spirit? That's a thankfulness question, isn't it? Will you, out of the abundance that he's filled you, pour out yourself in obedience, in following, in service, in moving toward others? And that really brings us then to that fourth piece about compassion. How do we grow compassion in our lives? And the fourth piece is simply the doing of the thing. It's the showing compassion to others. See, in baptism, it's never the end. We are not baptized for it to be the end. We're kind of done there. Baptism is actually the beginning. When we are united to Jesus, we are also united to his mission. We are united to his activity in the world. We are united to his calling, the calling that he's brought us in to send us out so that we might move toward others, loving, serving, caring for, proclaiming his goodness and his grace. And this is the connection point for Jonah too, right? This is the time at the bottom of the sea in the belly of the fish where he finally realizes, you know what? If God can save me, then he can save the Ninevites too. If God can save someone as terrible as me, then he can save the worst of them all. And he can use me even to go and proclaim his goodness and his grace to this place that I don't even want to go. This place that I don't like. That's the place for us as well to be brought to, to say, if God can humble me, if he can show me the beauty of his grace and mercy in my life, if he can fill me such that I'm actually pouring over with thankfulness, then he can also use me. He will send me. He will send me out. So how do we grow in compassion in our lives? I mean, you could answer that simply by saying, remember your baptism. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember that he has humbled you. Remember that he has brought you then up from the depths and saved you and placed you alongside him. He's made you one with him. If you belong to Jesus, that's what's true of you, is that we are united to Christ. It's amazing even to say. And then out of thankfulness, out of the abundance of what Jesus has given, we give our lives away. We move toward others. We pray with me? Lord, these uh, things that I've said are... There are easy words to say. There are concepts that are really hard to build in our lives. So Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit to be at work in us that you might continue to soften us, that you might continue to humble us, that you might continue to show us more and more your grace and mercy toward us. Lord, let us be those who, who live out of abundance, not out of insecurity, not out of scarcity. Let us be those, Lord, who move toward others in compassion, because that's what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.